0: Hello, Jazz Session listeners. I am Jason Crane, host of the Jazz Session, announcing the 100 by 300 campaign. That's right. My goal is to get 100 members by the 300th show to keep the Jazz Session going, and you can join very easily. Just visit thejazzsession.com and click on either the join link at the top of the page or the one on the side of the page. There are monthly levels starting at $10 a month. There are yearly levels starting at $110 a year. Please join the people who have already become members and help keep the Jazz Session going. The Jazz Session receives no external funding from any source uh, up to and including all about jazz, and that means for me to keep doing it, I need you. Thousands and thousands of you listen to every show, and if you could find the uh, the cost of maybe two cups of coffee uh, a month in your couch cushions, you can help keep the show going for years to come. That is the 100 by 300, 100 members by the 300th show. Join now at thejazzsession.com. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by allaboutjazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com. You can subscribe via iTunes or an RSS reader, and the links to do that are at the Jazz Session. And most importantly, you can become a member of the Jazz Session and help keep this show coming to you. This show receives no financial support from anybody except you. So if you'd like to keep these interviews coming your way, please become a member, which you can do at thejazzsession.com slash join My guest today is the singer and songwriter Rebecca Martin, and she takes a a new direction on her new album, When I Was Long Ago, which is that she sings uh, standards. She sings tunes by other people and and primarily classic tunes by other people, uh, beginning with this one, For All We Know.
1: Why should we waste a night like this? Why should we waste a single kiss? A kiss that is never tasted forever and ever is wasted for all we know we may never meet again for you can go make dial Come for all will know.
0: My guest is singer and songwriter Rebecca Martin. She has a, a new album called When I Was Long Ago on Sunnyside Records, and it's my pleasure to welcome Rebecca to the show. Thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So um, right before we started recording, we were talking about uh, one of the guests who appears on this album, and uh, that's your son, Charlie. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, Charlie made his way onto the record?
2: Well, we've been recording the last couple of times close to home in Rhinebeck, New York, and there's a really good studio um, called the Clubhouse, and it's, it's eight miles from home, and it's a fantastic studio with a neve board and great mic selection, and lots of light in the in the recording room, which is not common. So, you know, a lot of windows, and you're right in the middle of the of the um, of a of a very rural area right outside of Rhinebeck. So Charlie was home um, with the babysitter, but came to see us. Have dinner, and as he arrived, we were in the middle of takes doing "Cheer Up, Charlie," um, and so I finished one, and he was in the control room, right pressed up against the glass, trying to get my attention, trying yelling my name, and of course I couldn't hear anything. And I finished and looked up to see James Farber, and there was Charlie, and it was just a great moment. So. He came out into the control, uh, sorry, into the recording area, and we tried to get him to do a take because he, of course, loves that tune. Um, he loves that his name is in it, and he does think he's Charlie Bucket. <laughs> he's really into that film, so that's the story. And it was just so tender and lovely that I felt like it had to be on the record. And as we said, you know, record in my mind is a documentation really of where you are at that moment and uh, that's a, that's true true in this case
1: okay go
0: okay
2: you get blue
1: <laughs> like everyone but me and grandpa joe right here on look in here mike can make you trouble school get blue like everyone but me and grandpa joe can make your troubles go away blow away there they go cheer up charlie give me a smile what happened to that smile I used to know? Don't you know your grin has always.
0: Been... A couple of years ago, uh, I remember talking to Adam Nywood, uh, whose dad was Jerry Nywood, and who played uh, with Simon and Garfunkel and many other people. But Adam was telling a story about when he was growing up, and uh, he was. On tour with his dad, he was on tour with Simon and Garfunkel, and Adam remembered like riding in a cab with Carrie Fisher and Paul Simon, and you know it was Princess (laughs) Leia and Paul Simon, and he just thought, you know, I don't know what's going on, but it's great. And you're kind of coming at this from from the other side, where um, you know your young son is going to have a chance to to see you perform, to imagine you as a musician, to see that a lot of mom's friends you know our regular folks too but some of moms friends are are musicians and end up in clubs and i wonder what that experience is like for you or, or what if anything you're trying to shape about that experience for charlie
2: well initially you know for the, for the last bunch of years i've i've my my focus with him is to keep him uh on schedule for himself and everything is taken a back seat to my son's schedule um so when i would perform when he was younger um I was uh, keeping him home. So he really wasn't getting it in the beginning, and he's a very active child. He doesn't like to sit much and, and listen at this point. He really processes things on his feet. So um, only recently have I been taking him out um, to hear performances, and really only when they're outside of town, far away from home, where we're staying over somewhere. um he definitely gets what what his life is, you know, his between Larry and my Larry Grenadier, who's his father and my husband, between his schedule and mine, you know, it's a lot of coming and going, and he understands why and um he's actually really comfortable with it. So as he ages, you know, he will go out and tour with us a lot more, but school and everything else is super. It's super important to me that none of that is interfered with while he's going through this critical time. He's five now, so got a few more years of making sure that he's feeling, um, you know, secure in his in his world, really, before he is inundated with ours. Yeah, that's
0: a great great way to think about it. Uh, yeah. Turning to this record. Um, one thing that uh, people will notice that differentiates it from uh, a lot of the work you've done Is that it's all songs written by other people And I want to talk about that in a minute But first, uh, I think it would be interesting to hear a little bit of, of the backstory of the record And maybe we could start with, with Paul Motion and, and just talk about how mm-hmm. uh, how that led to this album that we're hearing
2: Paul, well, When I was about um, five months pregnant or so Paul had asked Larry if I would be willing to do a record with him and uh, for his on-Broadway series, but without a, ca- a chordal player. And, of course, I would have, you know, t- for that experience, <laughs> I would have done anything you know, at all to be in that environment, you know, singing with Paul. And, you know... I- kind of comfortable with, with that concept anyway because over the years I've had to be really flexible with the musicians that I play with you know I have a great group of people to play with but you know everybody's schedules change and I have to be flexible put together whoever's around from this great group of musicians so I've really learned how to just wing it and be you know go and approach music in the moment which is a, a great experience for someone whose background is more in singer songwriter i wouldn 't say folk that 's for sure i 've always loved music that that was i love I love traditional folk music don 't get me wrong of all kinds, but i 've always been really um, moved by um, uh, complicated melodies and harmony, so being around musicians like this was uh... exciting for me because it really triggered my own and uh... so i've been i had at least you know the flexibility never had to be perfect there's never a gig that i always look at it as an arts and crafts project really so, um when paul asked me to do it we we uh... he gave me freedom to choose the songs actually and together we picked out a group and quite a few. We did eight of them, I think, on that record. And I was almost uh, nine months pregnant doing that record. And it was an amazing experience for many reasons. But one of the most important lessons for me, with as much experience in my short life in the studio that I've had, to just be, to show up. And nothing, nothing at all precious about it. So blue collar, where you know you, you're in an environment where you do one or two takes, and that's the end of it. And it was just wonderful to be in that environment. It wasn't, you know, I was able to sing in a in a live room outside of a vocal booth. Uh, I was in the same room as Chris Potter. And it was just amazing for me to to have that because I have to admit I I wouldn't have dared to do that on a on a record of mine with so much you know with with original tunes and with so many band members you know it's 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 more challenging at least that was my thought process before this this record you know being able from that point to sing at the Village Vanguard where it's the same kind of environment um, the room is like singing inside of a Two hundred year old instrument or, or or older. It has such a great sound in the room, and it's very simple. It doesn't not There's no need for exaggeration. Um, that was amazing to play there for two weeks with Paul and uh, Carnegie Hall was a wonderful experience. So we had quite a repertoire outside of even the record, which I just continued to nurture, and in between that record and this I did another record of originals called The Growing Season and prepared to do the record that I I did this year which is when I was long ago with Bill and Larry who have been my trio for about a decade now so it was very comfortable to do Um, although in the end doing it we did it live we did it all in one room And the vulnerability, I'll tell you, that I experienced was really powerful, and I think that's just where it's all at as a singer and as a musician, really, to be that gentle and and, um, uh, honest in, in the studio without having, you know, just choosing takes was exciting.
1: Old man, sunshine, listen, you. Don't you tell me dreams come true Just try it And I'll start a riot Beatrice Fairfax, don't you dare Ever tell me he will care I'm certain It's the final cut. I never wanna hear from any cheerful Pollyanna who won't tell you fate supplies a mate. It's all bananas. They're writing a the song of love, but not for me is stars above but not for me with love to lead the way i've found more clouds of gray than any russian play could guarantee i was a fool to fall And get that way I hope Alas And also Like a day But Still I can't Resist The memory.
0: Yeah, I'd like to talk more about that, but I want to make sure that um, the listeners understand the idea of not having a chordal instrument, so in other words, a, a piano or a guitar or somebody to outline the harmonies. Uh, can you talk a little more about, the the? I guess, both the challenges and the opportunities that that presents for you?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, in my world, the opportunities are that there's more space. And, you know, I'm not a... a I don't take many liberties in my singing. I love to sing the melody pretty straight. I'm sort of of mind that the melody is all you need, as clearly stated as possible. Um, the emotion is the thing that can change, really, how you interpret those words. There's no end to the depth of that, what that can be, I think. Um, so to me, the melody is the, is the core, is the baseline, the boundaries and within those boundaries emotionally intimacy you can really go you can go as far as you dare um having chordal players even drummers um you know it, it helps actually to shape the the song and i'm really i really enjoy when musicians come up with parts you know eventually that um help to create that shape and boundary it actually does really strengthen the melody but sometimes within all that sound you miss the dynamic um of the of the voice i find you know i'm singing differently and um so space to me is is wonderful and it's pretty rare in music to have room to actually sit with the music yourself i mean if you have the patience to do that, which is hard these days with the speed that we're all moving in, moving at, rather.
0: Can you uh, just briefly describe what differentiated the recording process, the kind of physical environment that you were talking about this time from what it often is? In a, in a studio.
2: Well, what's what's neat about this record is we we the way that we were in the studio is actually also represented in how the listener gets to experience the record because of the way that James Farber decided together we decided to pan the musicians so everything isn't in the middle a lot of times. That's you know, you've got the voice front center, but in the studio we we were all live set up in one room in a semicircle. Larry was in the center. If you were if you were in the control room looking out, Larry was in the center, Bill would be on your right and I was on the left and Bill and I were facing each other and and uh Larry w- was in between us. So that was um that was in a, a lot of fun and uh we tried in every way. To illustrate authenticity, by the way that we pan the record too, which I think initially caught some people off guard because of how they're used to hearing records today. So I was really excited to experiment with this concept. Generally, I'm not really much of a concept kind of gal; pretty straightforward. But I, I really felt like, okay, let's let's represent what we're doing and. Uh, so we panned. And we could have panned even harder than we did, but I reeled James back in.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so it didn't become like Quadrophenia midway through. Robin. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, right. We found. I think we struck a good balance. Uh, I'm super happy with it. I'm really proud of this. I'm proud of all these records. I mean, it's each one is such a great process, and where we begin and where we end is always... Um, An incredible journey.
1: I used to visit all the very gay places, those come with me places. Where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life to get the feel of life from jazz and cocktails. The girls I knew had sad and sullen gray faces with disengaged races that used to be there. You could see where they'd been washed away. But two a minute through the day Twelve o'clock tales Then you came along With your siren song To tempt me to madness I've thought for a while That your poignant smile Was tinged with a sad Of a great love for me
0: This is an obvious question, but it probably needs to be asked, which is why did you record an album uh, of other people's music?
2: Well, I am a songwriter, and so I love songs, whether I've written them or not. And um, why go back to songs that you know, from the uh, Great American Songbook and maybe not interpret more modern songs, which might be um, what some people might expect from someone who's writing modern songs. Um, I really, you know, who knows why we move towards things. I've always moved towards, uh, you know, uh, other time periods, and uh, I definitely don't... Uh, I definitely feel like I landed in the wrong era, I can tell you that, <laughs> for sure. Well, there's no accidents in my mind, but that's how I feel. So I really identify with the romanticism of these tunes and the language and um, just the feeling that I that I have when I hear these songs. Um, so it was really, it's been a no-brainer for me. I grew up listening to them. My mother and father were um, musicians, too, and they would play them you know in at at home, and you know, so I was really exposed to to this stuff, but I also enjoyed pop music too, as a kid, and I think um it's all in there all all of what I've heard and grew up with, so I don't know, I thought it would be really a really exciting project to do something like this and to try to sing these tunes to make them authentic again Uh, even if it's an unconventional way to do it I almost felt like something had to be done in an unconventional way to kind of get everybody back to center to recognize that these are just great songs it's not about me, it's not about the musicians, let's focus on. let's, let's highlight these songs and see if we can you know, start over again hit the reset button you know, almost which is maybe a grand point you know, a grand way to look at it, but that is what encouraged me. I wanted to see if I could hit the reset button, just even for myself, to, to interpret songs like For All We Know, which you've heard so many great versions of. Um, I mean, it's a real challenge to do that, to move away from those and to try to just honor the words and the melody. Simple.
1: No moon at all What a night Even lightning bugs Have dimmed their lights Stars have disappeared From sight And there's no moon at all Don't make a sound It's so dark Even Fido Is afraid to bark What a perfect chance To park And there's no moon at all We want atmosphere For inspiration, dear One kiss will make it clear That tonight is right And bright moonlight might interfere No moon at all Up above This is nothing like they told us of Just to think we fell in love And there's no at all
0: Can you talk about uh, Larry Grenadier and Bill McHenry as musical partners on this album and why, yeah. why well, you chose them?
2: Yeah, well, yeah. Larry and I clearly have a pretty deep connection um, on many levels. And, you know, all I can say about Larry um, is that he makes me a better musician. He always has. I think Larry makes everybody sound better than they actually are. In some cases, um, that's amazing because he plays with people who are already wonderful, and he's so transparent in in, in uh, the music, I find, in that, you know, that's his role. He really is looking to help lift whoever he is working with. Um, and there's other things, too, of course, but that's one of my favorite parts of Larry, and that carries through in his life, too. He's very modest and thoughtful and quiet and funny and um, all that is in his music it's very much the same i don't i could never have done a project like this i don't think with anybody else at least to to imagine it i don't think so because i do b- believe that our synergy is, is so special that it gave, gives me the you know the the uh the thought to even attempt something like that Because I I, I can't imagine just doing a record with bass just for the heck of it. It just happens to be bass because it happens to be Larry. He could be playing clarinet, and we would have probably made the record, you know. (laughs) Um, Bill has always taken on an unconventional role on tenor sax with my singing. He's always um, been... Well he's been described as a foil and I think that's an accurate description and he's so creative and I believe in this project his intention has been to be sort of the the um, he called it the corral where he's pulling in the bass and the in the voice helping to weave them together I don't know if listeners hear it that way but I think that it helps Bill to find his role, too, in the music um, because, you know, it's a very different thing when there's no chordal playing or no drums, even. That's a big one, I think, for both of them, to uh, figure out their role, which is more when the drums are, are absent from, from the group, especially. Perhaps maybe less so of the chordal instrument because there's more room for them, too. But their role in this trio is definitely challenging and uh... they pull it off so effortlessly and just with such beauty and and creativity and it's very natural sounding to me.
0: Rebecca, are there some upcoming performances or projects that you'd like to mention?
2: Yeah, I'm playing on, um, at the Jazz Standard um, in December and uh, with the trio. And we are planning on doing quite a bit of, tour- of touring next year. So, you know, people can check into our, to my website for dates to see if I'll be coming anywhere near where they are. Um, But another project that I'm working on is kind of a fun uh, project. I'm not sure where it's going to all lead, but I'm working with um, Gretchen Parlato and Becca Stevens on a trio project, the three of us, and we call it Girls Gone Mild, (laughs) Which (laughs) which is funny. Bill came up with that because we were all, the weekend that we were all together making music, we were eating beautiful meals and doing all this stuff and we put some stuff up on Facebook to share with our friends, and Bill McHenry's wrote Girls Gone Mild, which, uh, which means, I don't know, that I guess we're not that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's going to be fun. We're playing at Cornelia Street two nights in January, the end of the month, um, in New York City. And um, the rest right now, I'm just preparing to tour, and working on music for another record, two more records, actually. Because of Charlie's schedule and because now I'm settled into a community in upstate New York, in Kingston, I have gradually moved into doing a lot of uh, work in the community, and that's led to now a full-time position as executive director of the Kingston Land Trust, which uh, sounds... um, like it's left field but really i've i've been involved in some pretty big um initiatives in open space and gardens and food security um and the like and so these days too along with music i'm thinking a lot about community building and how to sustain a community now and and you know into the near future and Um, It's been an incredible opportunity And I I really love it Um, And it's a lot There's a lot going on Between that music and Charlie and home But it all feels like I have I'm exercising all of the things that I do And that I love And um, like all the right ingredients for a good stew
0: Well, my guest is Rebecca Martin. She has a new album called When I Was Long Ago. It's on Sunnyside Records. And, uh, Rebecca, it's been a real joy to talk to you and to hear this music and the albums that preceded it. And I thank you a lot for coming on the show.
2: Thank you, Jason. Have a great holiday.
0: Thanks. You too. Oh, Lord,
2: why did you send
1: the darkness to me? Are the shadows forever to be? Where's the light I'm longing to see? sweet memory Mm -hmm. Willow and weep for me Willow, weep for me Bend your branches green Along the stream that runs to sea Dream, loveless summer dream gone and left me here to weep my tears into the stream. Sad as I
0: That's music from Rebecca Martin and her new album, When I Was Long Ago, on Sunnyside Records. I'm Jason Crane. You're listening to The Jazz Session, presented by allaboutjazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, mp3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at thejazzsession.com, and if you go there, you can also become a member thousands of you listen to each and every episode and uh, I need at least a hundred of you to become a member by the 300th show in order for this thing to to really keep chugging along my thanks to the members of the Respect Sextet, they have uh, a bunch of great albums, all of which are well worth your attention, the most recent one is called Farcicle Built for Six and you'll find it and all the rest of their records and their tour schedule up at respectsextet.com Thanks also to Dave Rabel. He designed the Jazz Session logo. Please get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.